Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your comments and questions. However, we normally don't have enough time to get caught up on all the comments or questions that get sent in, but I want to make sure if you sent in one of those questions and you tip to support the channel that you don't have to wait too awful long to get your question answered. So we gather them up and we address them here on companion videos. Now, if you'd like to send in a question to be read on the John Campus Show or companion video like this one, just go anytime you want down into the description of this video or almost any of our videos, and you'll see a tip link there. Just click on that or enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question read on the show if we deem it appropriate to be used on our show. And of course, you'll be supporting our channel at the same time and all of us involved with the John Campus Show. Thank you guys so much for your support. And today was a really cool day on the John Campus Show because we had Kimberly was in here, Ray was in here, and Robert Meyer Burnett made his return. Of course, when we started having shows back all together live in studio again, Rob initially planned on being able to join us, but then his schedule wouldn't allow it. But we've been able to work all that out, and Rob made his return today. It was a lot of fun having the whole crew in the same room together. It was a blast. We can't wait to do it again tomorrow. But for now, Let's get over to these questions that you guys have been sending in, shall we? And we've got some of these that go all the way back to the weekend. So let's not waste any time and start getting caught up, shall we? And we're going to start things up here with Nightman Cometh. That's a great name. Who writes, I recently watched Top Gun and the music is such a big part of the DNA of that film. Absolutely it is. Uh, not just the instrumental theme, but Danger Zone, Take My Breath Away, uh, Love and Feeling, etc. And don't forget about uh Playing with the boys. The, the song they play when they're playing volleyball, right? Anyway, uh, Kenny Loggins, everybody. Uh, take my breath away, loving feeling, etc. John, did you get a feel for the music used during your sneak peek of Maverick? So what Nightman Cometh is referring to is a couple months ago at CinemaCon Las Vegas, they showed us like 15, 16, 17, 18 minutes, I forget how much, uh, of Top Gun Maverick. And it was awesome. Like, Awesome. I went from being barely interested in this movie to I cannot wait to see this movie. But, you know, they only had so much music playing, but I'll tell you what, it starts off with that iconic gong. Gong. You know, you know that thing? And as soon as that starts playing, you get all nostalgic and your the hair on your arm starts to stand up. It's actually pretty cool. So again, because of the limited amount we saw, it didn't get a big sense of the music, but the fact that they opened with that music, it just took you right back there into the danger zone. All right, uh, next up, Rod writes, John, like you, I love Yellowstone. Can't get over that show. I just started watching the prequel to Yellowstone called 1883, which is on Paramount+. Plus. It's my new favorite. Have you seen it? If you have, what do you think? I have not had a chance to watch it yet. Um, I want to get wrapped up and caught up on Yellowstone. I have the season finale still to go because the season finale for Yellowstone came out the other day. I still have to get caught up on that. Once I watch that, then I will start watching 1883, but I'm hearing nothing but amazing things about it. So I'm quite excited to check it out, Rod. All right, next up garden variety vagabond writes, John, I would expect no way home to have another great box office this weekend. And it did. It ended up making a little over $50 million this weekend. Um, it is a long weekend for many, and with less going to clubs or in the city streets, probably, and Spidey is really the only must-see film to see. Yeah, it did great again. Came in with $50 million, um, which is 
fabulous for a third weekend. Like absolutely fabulous for a third weekend. This thing keeps making money. It's now at about 100. It's just shy of 140 million. Um, so it or 1.4 billion, I should say. It's just shy of 1.4 billion. I think the last I checked, it's at like 1.36 billion. So listen, it could cross that 1.5 billion dollar mark, which is really good because I thought that was very doubtable after we found out that China wasn't going to be releasing it in its theaters. I thought 1.5 may not be on the board, but it looks like it just might get to that 1.5 mark. So we'll see how things keep rolling. I mean, the box office is slowing down, but that's what happens to every movie as the weeks progress. All right, next up, Dangerous D writes, Hey, John, you asked, should Warner Brothers still do a Matrix 5? I say, oh, hell yes. Just because the Wachowskis don't, doesn't want to do it anymore, have other writers slash directors take a crack at a new direction. When George Lucas gave up and sold Star Wars, it made Star Wars even more popular. Well, yeah, but here's the thing. Star Wars never came off of a big, massive flop. And whatever way you try to spin it, Matrix Resurrections is a giant flop. It's a monumental flop. People were not interested and, and I remember arguing with people for like a year saying like everybody's like predicting like, you know, $200 million opening for Matrix Resurrections and it's going to break box office records. And I said, and I kept telling people for a long time, listen, I think you're really overestimating how much people today have a hunger for Matrix and the movie completely flopped. And just let me check on this number here. Yeah, the film has made total after two weeks, $105 million worldwide total. Uh, this weekend, it only made like $3.8 million at the box office. It came in fifth place at the box office this weekend. Behind American Underdog, The King's Man, Sing 2, and Spider-Man. And just barely in front of uh, West Side Story, which has been out for four weeks, and it's been doing really badly too. I mean, it's just, that's the thing. So you can't really compare the Star Wars situation to the Matrix situation because Star Wars, like whatever I think about the prequels, they made big money. They made big money. The hunger for Matrix just simply is not there anymore. I mean, I, there's a lot of hardcore fans that still are there, absolutely. But I think the box office proves that the audience just isn't there anymore for it. So, no, I think you got to let Matrix die at this point. I, I really, really do. But who knows? We'll see what happens in the future, Dangerous. All right. Next up, we got Pit Squad and Pit Squad writes, somehow I feel Wanda will become the Sorcerer Supreme. I don't know. Just feel like they are building her up for something big. I really, I absolutely do not believe she's going to be the Sorcerer, Sorcerer Supreme. Not any chance in the world. But are they building her up for something big? See, that's completely different. I mean, can they be building up for something big? Yes. I still kind of think they're building her up to be the villain of Doctor Strange 2. I think at the end of the day, she's going to be the antagonist. I don't know that. I'm not going to be shocked if she isn't. I'm just taking a guess. But I've been guessing for a long time that I think she's going to be the villain of that. So we'll we'll see how that goes. All right. Uh, next up, Capri Grant writes, just rewatched Agatha versus Wanda. When Agatha says Wanda is stronger than the Sorcerer Supreme, I just shook my head. Poor Wong. <laughs> LOL. Yeah, I. that is a really good point. Because when that happened, people said, well, if, if there's a couple of things to keep in mind here. So in WandaVision, Agatha said that the Scarlet Witch is said to be even stronger than the Sorcerer Supreme. Well, okay, but that doesn't make it so, and it doesn't make it canon. Just because Agatha says that doesn't mean that's actually what it is. Because a lot of people say, oh, that WandaVision is saying one is even more powerful than Doctor Strange. Mm, did it, though? Just because Agatha said that doesn't make it so, number one. But number two, when she said that, Doctor Strange wasn't the Sorcerer Supreme. We found out in Spider-Man No Way Home that ever since the snap, Wong has been the Sorcerer Supreme. So, yes, bad things could be coming to Wong. I hope not, because I freaking love Wong. All right, next up, Capri Grant also writes, John, what is the deal with people liking Boba Fett? I'm 25, but I grew up on Star Wars, but I never understood what was the appeal. One word, mystery. It was the mystery of the character. Boba Fett in the Star Wars universe, which has always been a Western kind of influence to Star Wars in the first place, but nothing and no character epitomized that more than Boba Fett. He was the man with no name who could wander into town without saying a word 
And everybody just knew that's the baddest man here, right? And Boba Fett kind of carried that mystery, which which was one of the things that I've said for years about why I'm not really interested. Over the years, I've said I'm not really interested in a Boba Fett-focused thing because then you got to take away a lot of the mystery. And the mystery, the mystique is the legend of Boba Fett. So, I don't know. As far as the new show goes, we'll see. Uh, I wasn't thrilled with episode one, even though I was psychotically looking forward to this. We'll see how things pick up in episode two. All right. Next up, uh, Rob Mack writes, I have a feeling that Carl, uh, Carl Mordo might surprise us. If Mordo didn't get blipped away, that means he's had at least seven years to learn a lot of magical spells that Strange and Wong might not have even heard of. I don't think we should sleep on Mordo's power. No, but then again, it's not just about... I think for wizards and sorcerers, I don't think seven years is considered that long of a period of time. So I don't know if that'll be a thing. But listen, he clearly got a new hairstyle. Which the hairstyle that um, that he's rocking there, that Chuatel Ejiofor is rocking, looks pretty damn good. So it'll be interesting to see how big of a role he plays. Again, I don't even think he's going to end up being the villain of the film. I think it's probably going to end up being um, Wanda, but we'll see. Either way, it's great to see Chuatel Ejiofor in there. All right, the kids, <laughs> the kids' choice awards two writes my top ten best films of 2021. Uh, number ten, Billie Eilish's documentary. Number nine, The Suicide Squad. Number eight, King Richard. Number seven, Ryan the Last Dragon. Number six, Nobody. Number five, Tick, Tick, Boom. Number four, Mitchells versus the Machines. Number three, Quiet Place 2. Number two, Free Guy. Number one, In the Heights. I loved all the movies on your list. I mean, obviously not all of them made my list, but I love all those movies. Mitchells versus the Machines and Free Guy were particular big, big, big pleasant surprises. But I'm still enthralled with In the Heights. I mean, I think West Side Story is the best film of the year and obviously the best musical of the year. But In the Heights was something I had no expectations for and I had thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, man. All right, next up, Scott the Dick writes, Hey, John, regarding the Doctor Strange synopsis, I was thinking, if they wanted to bring in the mutants and need an epic threat for future, what if she brings in Apocalypse? They can then have some mutant history and a crazy powerful villain which can return. I don't think they're going to bring in, I don't think you're going to see Wanda and Doctor Strange 2 bring in Apocalypse. I mean, that's just crossing way too many streams. So I, I just don't see them doing it on that level. So no, at some point though, it's, it's like Batman. If you're doing a new Batman, at some point you have to have a Joker right? At some point, you have to have a Joker. If you're doing a new Superman, at some point, you need to have a Lex Luthor. If you're going to do, you know, and so on and so forth, right? If you're going to do X-Men, aside from Magneto, which is the most obvious one, at some point, you got to have Apocalypse. But I don't think he gets introduced here in Doctor Strange 2. I just don't think that's their plan for it now. But at some point, you got to bring him in. And I hope to heaven they do a better job with En Saban Noor than they did in that X-Men Apocalypse movie they did before. Uh, you know, my favorite comic book story of all time is the X-Men Age of Apocalypse storyline. And I've been dying to see Apocalypse. I just wasn't thrilled with what they did with him in that. Even though the great Oscar Isaac played him, it just wasn't a very good rendition. All right, next up. We've got 42, who writes, Not a Marvel fan, but fell in love with the endearingly imperfect Venom movies. Only went to see No Way Home because of, of the Venom end credit scene to see if Venom shows up in the movie. What role do you think the scene and people like me played in the success of No Way Home? Um, I definitely played a role in it, but it's not the driving factor. So, of course, everybody knows at the end of Venom 2, the post credit scene, Venom... Tom Hardy and Venom are teleported into the MCU universe where he sees Spider-Man on TV. That definitely got people excited. And did that have an impact on the overall success of Spider-Man No Way Home? Undoubtedly. Did it have a major impact on that success? I wouldn't say it had a major impact, but, uh, but, but an impact nonetheless, absolutely. Because I know it got me more excited for it for sure. All right, next up, we've got Jonathan who writes, Unpopular opinion. 
I hate the Sandlot. I have never heard anybody say they hate the Sandlot. You're killing me, Smalls. I uh, hated the characters. Annoying as fuck. I didn't give two shits about their baseball game. I had a visceral reaction last time I saw the movie. Hated every second. But I love the Goonies. Goonies is my childhood. Well, yeah, I mean, I got to tell you, listen, all film is subjective. If And I'm sure you're not the only person in the world that doesn't like the Sandlot, right? I'm just saying, I don't think I have personally ever talked to somebody that didn't like Sandlot. Like, that's just one of those treasured kind of movies for a lot of people. But hey, man, if it didn't work for you, it didn't work for you. I'm glad you like the Goonies, though, man. Thanks for sharing that, Jonathan. All right, next up. I am the one who knocks, writes. Love the show. Every time I hear Ray say, big surprises, I get a good chuckle. Happy New Year, everybody. It is, look, I, I got to tell you, I have known for years that Ray Aura is not the, but one of the most naturally funny guys I've ever met in my life. Um, and of course, he's my brother-in-law. He's he's Anne's brother. But he is so he's just got such a natural personality about him. He is so funny um, and just such a joy. Like, Ray is a joy to be around. And I've always thought, even though he is not a movie pundit, he is not a movie commentator, I just thought that natural personality he had, I always thought there would be some way to utilize that to, and, and it would be an addition to any show. And so when we started looking at bringing everything back in, in live and in person, I thought, you know what, Ray, I thought of a great angle. Let's have you on the show on camera and you don't have to be a film pundit. You don't have to be a film critic. Just, you know, interact with the live chat. And just bring your natural personality to the show. We can check in with you once in a while. And I think he has been so good for this show. I really do. I, I, I mean that wholeheartedly. I think he's been great. I think you, the audience, has really loved his contributions that he's making. Again, we he's not a film critic. He's not a film pundit. He's not a film extra, expert. And we don't ask him to be. That's why we most topics, we don't go to him for an opinion or anything like that. But I think just having him here and having his presence in the room and the personality he brings... I know, I know it makes it a lot more fun for me. And I think if I'm having more fun doing the show, I think that probably makes it more fun for you guys to watch the show. So it is great to have him here. Thanks for writing that in, man. All right. Next up, Jonathan writes, I don't have a favorite movie of all time, but I can tell you The Sandlot is my most hated. Back to The Sandlot. Uh, right alongside of Five Feet Apart. Remember that BS with Cole Sprouse? Freaking torture. Anyway, sorry for the rant. I had to get that off my chest. Listen, man, I get it. And you probably, as somebody who hates The Sandlot, you probably have to hear people talk about how much they love The Sandlot all the time. And that probably just grinds your gears even more. So don't you worry about it, Jonathan. Thanks for sharing your thoughts, dude. All right, next up. We've got Marty Wolftrack, who writes, The funny thing is, I think that films like House of Gucci are made better by films like No Way Home and Matrix 4. I appreciated House of Gucci so much more because of the way it contrasted to the explosive blockbusters. I love seeing a variety of film. I, I agree completely. Like, I don't get me wrong. I love my big sci-fi comic book action adventure movies. I love them. But I also really love a lot of other genres. And when you watch a movie like House of Gucci, which which isn't the best movie, right? I like the first two acts of House of Gucci very much. It's the third act for me kind of falls apart, but that's a discussion for another time. But watching a movie like that or watching a movie like The Tragedy of Macbeth, right? Anne and I watched Spider-Man No Way Home. And then a day later, we saw The Tragedy of Macbeth. And there's, you couldn't get two more completely different movies. You cannot get more completely different movies. But watching Spider-Man No Way Home with the bombastic action, whatever, and the comic bookiness of it, and I loved it, I had a great time at it, it just makes you appreciate even more what I guess Marty Scorsese would call true cinema. I mean, it's all cinema. But I mean, like watching, and, and like one of the things I tweeted about after coming out of watching The Tragedy of Macbeth which, of course, has two of the greatest actors of all time in uh, Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand. And I came out and the, I instantly tweeted and I said, you know, the problem with watching a movie like Macbeth is that you forget what real world-class acting looks like. Like, we can watch a lot of comic book movies and there'll be some very, very good performances. But then you watch something like The Tragedy of Macbeth and you're like, oh, right. 
That's what actual true world-class acting is. And it kind of makes 98% of everything else look like shit. I mean, that's that's the problem with it, right? But I, I think you're absolutely right. I think one of the reasons why I had such a great experience with the tragedy of Macbeth is because I went and saw a completely different kind of movie right before it in Spider-Man No Way Home. And I think vice versa. I think if I'd seen the tragedy of Macbeth first and then saw Spider-Man No Way Home the next day, I think the contrast of those films would have made me appreciate Spider-Man No Way Home even more. So I, I absolutely agree with you, Marty. That's a really good observation, man. All right. Next up, I of Charperin writes, Hello, John. I really enjoy the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, I've been following since the AMC days. Have you ever seen the HBO show Avenue 5? I have not. I don't recall anyone bringing it up before. It stars Hugh Laurie. Oh, I know the one you're talking about, the, the spaceship. Uh, Hugh Laurie as the captain of a space cruise ship and things hilariously go wrong. Okay, so yes, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, um, of uh, Wally. Right. Like all these people are on a space cruise ship and it goes off course or something like that. I watched the first episode and I kind of liked the first episode. And then I just totally forgot about the show after that. Just totally forgot about it. And for whatever reason, I never went back to it after that. I'm not really sure why, but yeah, I never went back to the show after that. I might have to try to get back on it at some point. Anyway, thanks for reminding me of that. I, all right, next up. Uh, Jonathan writes, one of two, when I watch a movie, I'm divided between my inner critic and a fan. For example, I recognize that The Dark Knight is better from a technical aspect, story, character, writing, etc. But as a fan of the arts, is Dark Knight, uh, but as a fan of the arts, it's Dark Knight Rises I love more. You say movies are experiential events, but sometimes for me, it's hard to reconcile between the critic and the fan. As a movie pundit who's seen more movies than I ever will, uh, how do you reconcile the critic and the fan in you? Thanks and bring on the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for writing that in, Jonathan. I'm actually lately been going through this kind of film world existential dilemma about how I view films. Because for the longest time, I have believed in what I'm starting to think is a fairy tale. I have believed for a long time that there is a difference between what you think is the best movie and what you think is your favorite movie, right? As film fans, we've always made those distinctions. Well, my favorite one is this, but probably the best one is this, right? I am, as I do this longer and longer and longer, I am starting to question that. Who says... Like, for example, let's just go back to what you say. And I'm posing this as a question. This isn't rhetorical. Who says when you write, uh, I recognize that the Dark Knight is better from a technical aspect, story, character, writing, sector. Says who? Who said that? And whoever said that, what makes that correct? There's no objective unit of measurement that determines that the Dark Knight is technically better in terms of story, character, and writing than The Dark Knight Rises is. I, if I ask you to say, if I say to you, prove it, you can't because there's no definitive objective measurement to make that claim that that it's true. It's simply somebody's individual experience with it. An individual watches The Dark Knight and to them, the story was better. The character was better. The writing was better. But there's nothing to says that that's true, right? Look, I've been saying for a long time, all the way back since my movie blog days, the key foundational truth of movies is that they're all subjective. That is the key foundational truth of all film, of all art, right? You've heard me say it before, but let me say it again. To say something has objective truth it has to be able to be empirically measured. I can say that this box is seven inches tall. Well, that's fine, because do I have one here? Oh, I think Ray took it out of my office. I did have one. Yeah, I don't have it here right now, but I, that's, that's an objective statement of truth. And you can measure and you can test to see if that objective statement of truth is actually true. You can take a tape measure and empirically measure if this thing is indeed seven inches tall. 
And then it's beyond dispute. It's non-disputable. It has objectively been proven as truth. Anything that can't do that is subjective. That flower is prettier than that flower. Says who? By what measurement? By what empirical measurement can you apply to the situation to prove that that flower is prettier than that flower? Because if we bring a bunch of people in this room, a bunch of them are going to say that flower is prettier. Right? But even though I, for the longest time, have understood the basic foundational truth of any film fan, which is all film is subjective, I have still bought in to this notion that, well, yeah, this film is better, even though this one's my favorite. Like, this one's my favorite, but this one's better. This one's my favorite 1983 film, but I acknowledge that this other one is better. But what makes something better? What makes that movie better than this movie? As, again, as the years go by and I do this longer and longer and longer, I am, again, starting to have this existential dilemma that if a movie is an experiential event, and movies, every movie is designed to, to give us a different kind of experience, uh, laughter, excitement, horror, fear, contemplation, grief, sadness, joy, you know, romance, whatever, right? All types of movies are designed to give us all different types of experiences. But my question to you, Jonathan, becomes, and again, this is the existential struggle I'm having as I get older with movies. If your experience with The Dark Knight Rises delivered to you a more profound experience, and maybe it didn't deliver a more profound experience to me, but if it delivered a more profound experience to you, you watched both The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises, and the experience, the, the, the more enhanced experience that you walked away with, the more profound experience you had was delivered by The Dark Knight Rises? then can't an argument be made then, well, then its story must have been better. Then its characters must have been better. Then its writing must have been better, at least for you. Because if you walked out of that thing with, with, with a buzz of excitement and, and you had this wonderful, wonderful experience, more so than the other movie delivered to you, then that movie is the one that's better to you. Listen, I'll tell you what. Uh, probably years ago, maybe 10 years ago, I probably wouldn't have put Shang-Chi as my number three best movie of the year. But it was my third best experience in the movies that year. It was my, I think it was, was it make, make it my third or my second? I can't remember. For argument's sake, let's just say third. But it was my third favorite experience in the films that year. And if that's my favorite experience, then that's my third favorite movie. If it's my third favorite experience, then it's my third favorite movie. And I never used to think of it in terms like that before. I never thought of it in terms like that before. But it, it's kind of how I've been thinking about it lately. And there would have been a time, like I said, years and years, 10 years ago or more, that I would have thought to myself, well, just because I had that great of a time at it, it was my third favorite experience, I can't really say it's the third best film of the year. But as I get older, I'm like, yeah, I can. If that's the movie that delivered that experience for me, and movies are experiential events, then why do I have to make a distinction between what is my favorite Versus what I think is best. Why does there have to be a difference? And again, I'm still working this out for myself as a film fan. I'm still working this out. But I, but the question I, I posed to myself just a couple of months ago, and I'm still wrestling with is, why do I need, need to make a distinction between my favorite film of the year versus what I think is the best? They are one and the same. They don't need to be two separate individual things. One is not divorced from the other. And so 10 years ago, yeah, maybe Shang-Chi is my, maybe if I got John Campion from 10 years ago and brought him to today, maybe Shang-Chi was my third favorite movie of the year, but I probably wouldn't have put it as my third best film of the year because you can't do that. Yeah, you can. And so, um, yeah, 
That's the thing to me. And I keep on having these people who think they sound smart, but they aren't. You say, oh, no, John, there are technical, you know, proficiencies that you must have in writing. And all to say to them is prove it. How many times does the word frolic have to be? Well, it's scientifically proven that if you use the word frolic five times in a screenplay, that means it's a good screenplay. See, you, you, it's bullshit. Movies are experiential events. Movies are art, and art is subjective. Art cannot be empirically measured. It cannot be objectively verified as anything. It's all up to the impression made on the viewer of it, of the listener to the poem, of the observer of the painting, of the viewer of the play or of the movie. And I'm just wondering if we just try to make ourselves feel like it's a science. It's not. It's not a science. It's an art. And I would say to you, Jason, or Jonathan, I should say, if The Dark Knight Rises is your favorite experience out of the two, then my got news for you. The better of the two to you is also The Dark Knight Rises. That's kind of my struggle. I mean, and I'm sure everybody has different kind of contemplations and thoughts on that, but that's what it is to me right now. Ask me again in a few weeks. Maybe I'll have a different opinion. All right, uh, next up. Matthew Wayne writes, Robert Benson has said that he would like to do two more movies after the Batman about Bruce's, I'm going to guess by Robert Benson's, Benson, you mean Robert Pattinson. Okay. I'm like, Robert Benson. Okay. Robert Pattinson has said that he would like to do two more movies after the Batman about Bruce's psychology if they make, uh, if they make rubber pants in the next Batman for two decades, will there be drama? I have no idea what it is you're writing here. Let me try this again. Robert Pattinson has said that he would like to do two more movies after the Batman about Bruce's psychology. If they make rubber pants in the next Batman for two decades, will there be drama? Would you guys like to see him become like Kevin? I'll be honest with you, Matthew. Full apologies. I have no idea what you're saying, brother. I'm sorry about that, dude. All right, next up. Potterhead Hufflepuff writes, what if in the scene between Clint and Yelena, Yelena's subconscious knew all along that Black Widow sacrificed herself, but was looking for someone to blame for her death regardless, angry and grief stricken and didn't fully accept the truth until the end. Um, so what Potterhead Hufflepuff is referring to is one of my big problems about, the, even though the scene itself was very touching and very nice, one of the big fallacies logically of that scene between Yelena and Clint was Yelena has been under this impression that she blames Clint for the death of her sister. So convicted of that, that she is willing to murder him and kill him, take his life to slay him. And then they come to face to face and it's like, oh no, she, she chose to do that. Oh, really? Oh, and it changed like, no, like if that character had been so, had convinced herself soberly, of course the guy she's about to murder says that. Of course he does. But it's just like, wait, what? You're saying it wasn't your fault that she died? I now need to rethink everything, right? It would, even if what you were saying was true, it would take a little bit more of a push than that. It would take some kind of presentation of evidence or something. Anyway, that's why that scene didn't work for me overall. Even though it was very touching, like when they both start talking about I loved her and the other one said I loved her too. I mean, that was beautiful and touching, but it's just the whole, you know, the orchestration of the scene to me didn't, didn't quite work. All right. Next up. Spider Chris writes one of three. Hey, John, love all that you, Kim and Ray do. Thank you so much, Spider Chris. I remember my first time ever seeing a movie in the theaters was when I was a kid and saw the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man film with Tobey Maguire. Ever since Spider-Man has been my favorite superhero. Uh, I just saw Spider-Man No Way Home for a third time, and I saw it in an IMAX theater late at night. There was like maybe 10 or 15 other people and we were all spread out. They were quite chill. They were, they were so quiet and chill. I loved it so much. It's moments like that that I appreciate seeing movies by myself sometimes. For me, this is my favorite film of the year with Dune at a close second, which I saw six times. Hope you all have a happy year near uh, hashtag three is the magic number. Um, that's awesome to hear, Spider Chris. I mean, there's something so special about that. You know, we've had some people writing in saying like, uh, the one guy in particular that I always remember this wrote in the first movie my dad took me to was to go see Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. And this weekend I went with him and my son 
to go see the new Spider-Man. There's something so special about that. And the fact that you got to see it in a theater again with like 10 to 15 people, that's pretty cool because the movie's still like making 50 million bucks on the weekend. Yeah, but it's going to start to trickle down now. But it's so funny that each of us have different things. Like you really appreciated being able to see it in a nice, quiet atmosphere. Whereas me, I'm kind of the opposite. I like a good, rowdy crowd, like not rude and on their cell phones and talking to each other, but like engaging with the movie and emotionally responding to the movie. I actually love the event atmosphere, but you look for something a little bit different. And I appreciate that, Chris, uh, Spider Chris. Thanks for sharing your thoughts on that, man. All right. Next up, a different Stuckman writes, bros. Bros, classic. Uh, welcome to the new year, team. I'm sure we all share a common interest, the cinema. But sometimes you are just stuck at home. A proper home entertainment system can really enhance your experience. What does your home theater system look like? Um, well, my home theater system is pretty good. I've got a really good 4K um, uh, HDR 75-inch uh, television that I have hanging on my wall. And it's funny because my wall is huge. And sometimes when some people see a picture of it, the, because the wall is so big and they this TV's on it, the TV kind of looks like it's small. And people always write and say, whenever they see a picture of it, they're like, John, you need a bigger TV. I'm like, my TV's a 75-inch TV, which is not the biggest in the world. Obviously, there are large ones. I, but 75 inches is a pretty big TV. So anyway, I've got that. And I've got this really great uh, JBL uh, supplied me were really kind. They sent me this uh, as a gift. They sent me this really great um, surround uh, wireless surround system sound that I really like. They sent one to Robert too. Rob's got one too. And I love it. It sounds, um, the sound is fantastic. The, the subwoofer on it is this huge cabinet thing is some of the best bass I've ever heard out of a system like that. Now, I'm sure there are better out there. I'm not a massive, massive audiophile, but I do know that this is the best, sweetest sounding system I've ever personally had. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of my setup at home, and I and I really do enjoy it. It's still utter crap compared to going to an actual movie theater. Like, it's total, you know, the drippings from a diarrhea, you know, morning on the toilet after far too many burritos compared to a real movie theater was that descriptive enough for you anyway compared to an actual movie theater experience but still it's yeah the better home setup you can have the better but it's still nothing compared to an actual movie theater but that's just my take on it all right i, I don't know why i got so descriptive on that that was terrible anyway uh Masha's writes if i've done my math correctly which i probably haven't there should be either an MCU or Star Wars show on Disney Plus for about 40 out of the 52 weeks of 2022. You're probably not wrong about that. I can't wait for all those John Campia post-game shows, assuming the shows are good. Yeah, that's the big key, right? Because I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. We are going to do a post-game show for, Mand for uh, I should say, uh, uh, Boba Fett Episode 2. But if I am as underwhelmed by episode two as I was for episode one, then our post-game show for episode two is probably going to be the last one we do for, for Boba Fett. Because here's, here's the thing about me. I, if I'm not liking something, I'm not just going to make videos about it just so I can shit on it. Like, yeah, when I see The Matrix Resurrections, I need to review it and I'll shit on it because I didn't like it and I'll talk about how I don't like it. But if there's a television show... And I know, okay, yeah, I don't like this show. Then I'm not going to continue to do reviews of it after every episode just so I can whine and bitch about it, right? Because then there's no there's no point. The only po at that point, all I'd be doing is is trying to make videos to attract hate clicks. Hey, everybody else out there who hates Mandel or who who hates Boba Fett, come and watch me wall bitches bitching and shit all over it together. So come on in. Well, and it just, that just creates a toxic environment. And so I'm going to watch Boba Fett episode two and I'll do a, we're going to do a post game show on episode two. But again, if I'm underwhelmed by it and I don't like it, then I'm not going to do post game shows of it anymore because there's no point in me just doing shows just so I can bitch and whine about it every single week. Right. I'll just quietly tap out of it and either I might keep watching it, but I'm not going to review it every week, you know, just so I can cry about it. So We'll see. But that's true of every upcoming Disney Plus show. Right? 
if it starts off and it gets me in the first cup we'll, and it, it's good, we'll keep doing post-game shows over through the whole way through. So I think it's safe to say we're going to do a post-game show for every episode one. Every episode one of the upcoming Disney Plus shows we have, I'll do a post-game show. Whether or not we continue on and do post-game shows for the entire series will totally depend on the show and how good it is. So we'll see how that goes. All right, next up. We've got Jonathan who writes, So, 2021 was a pretty good year for musicals. It really, I mean, not box office wise, but it was a pretty damn good year for good musicals. In the Heights, Tick, Tick, Boom, and Kanto and West Side Story. How would you rank them? Tick, Tick, Boom is personally my favorite, especially with the scene of the couple fighting with the musical spliced ins. I feel bad that you feel bad that I felt bad. That's a really great scene, as a matter of fact. Uh, with, the, with the scenes of the couple fighting with the musical spiced in, so good. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do a full ranking here, but I will simply tell you, West Side Story was the best film of the year. Hands down. Above Quiet Place 2, above uh, uh, Shang-Chi, above everything. West Side Story, to me, blow blew the competition away. And I crapped on this movie for a year before it even came out. I was like, eh, I know it's Steven Spielberg and he's he's the GOAT. He's my all-time favorite filmmaker, but nobody's asking for a remake of a 1961 musical set in the 60s with dancing street gangs. Take it easy, boy. Nobody asked for it. Nobody wants it. It's not going to make any money. And sure enough, nobody did ask for it and it didn't make any money. But I'll be damned, it was the best film of the year. Uh, and I also, I love Tick, Tick, Boom. I did. I was so pleasantly surprised. I, who knew Andrew Garfield could sing like that? I love Tick, Tick, Boom, but I liked all of those movies, man. In the Heights, Tick, Tick, Boom, and Kanto, West Side Story. But I, again, for me, West Side Story is by far, by far the best film of the year. And I crapped on it. <laughs> I crapped on it so much for you. This is a waste of time. It's not going to be any good, blah, blah, blah. And the best scene of the year to me is the America scene in West Side Story. Like, it's like one of the best movie scenes I've ever seen. It's absolutely incredible. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, Jonathan. Uh, next up, we got 3T Medias, who writes, Thank you for a great year, uh, for a great year. John, Kimberly, and Ray, you've inspired me to keep my channel going. May uh, 2022 ring more filthy. Well, that's awesome. Listen, I love hearing that, number one, people are doing blogs, podcasts, or YouTube channels. And the reason I think that is not because, you know, oh, we need more blogs. It's about you as an individual engaging with your own fandom. Whether you're a fan of sneakers, do a blog about sneakers because it gets you more invested in, in your love for sneakers. If it's about bikes, then do a podcast about bikes just because it gets you more engaged with this thing you love. You know, whatever it is, do it. And on top of that, it's a little way for you to contribute back to the fan community of the same thing. Because maybe only 20 people listen to your podcast or read your blog. Well, still, that's you contributing to the fan experience of 20 other fellow fans of, you know, of the sneakers or of the bikes or of makeup or of fashion or of movies or of music, or of cars, or of whatever it is. It's awesome. So, yeah, man, if you've got that going, keep going with it. But but keep going with it in the terms of do it because you love doing it. Now, if you don't love doing it, then by all means, stop, for sure. But if you love doing it, don't worry about anything else. Just do it. Have fun with it. Engage with it. Keep going. I encourage you. And so I am love hearing that you're going to keep it going, man. Love hearing that you're keeping it going. All right. Next up. Uh, Hoop Suni writes, my 10, my 10 worst of the year. Number 10, Cherry. Yeah, it was pretty bad, man. Number 9, Coming to America 2. Pretty bad. Number 8, Kate. Yeah, a lot of people love that. I, I didn't love it. Number seven, Die Every Wimpy Kid. Number six, Willie's Wonderland. Number five, The Kissing Booth. Three. Number four, Gunpowder Milkshake. Yeah, that one was pretty disappointing, too. I was really excited about that. Number three, Outside the Wire. Number two, Thunder Force. You didn't have Thunder Force as your number one? Uh, number one, He's All That. My top five uh, are all Netflix originals. Oh, of the movies. Yeah, not surprising. You're right. Gunpowder Milkshake. The Kissing Booth. Outside the Wire, Thunder Force, and he's like, yeah, you're right. They're all Netflix originals. Not surprised, man. 
Not surprised. Like for every one diamond, it feels like Netflix give us gives us in terms of original movies, they give us 10 piles of dung. Like for every one great movie they give us, they give us 10 crappy ones. And and I just don't know why they have so much success with their original series, but they can't translate that to original movies. It's really interesting. All right, thanks for sharing that, Hoop Sooney. All right, next up, Caleb writes, top 10 for me of the year out of 34 films I saw. Number one, Dune, dream come true for me. Number two, In the Heights. Number three, Spider-Man No Way Home. Number four, The Last Duel. Number five, Free Guy. Number six, Shang-Chi. Number seven, No Time to Die. Number eight, Nobody. Number nine, Judas and the Black Messiah. Number 10, The Courier. I like your list, man. That's a good, you know, this is one of my favorite times of the year because over the next week or two, we're going to continue to get people sending in their top 10 favorites of the year. And I love it because not only do we get to look at, like as soon as you list In the Heights, I get to think about In the Heights for a second, which is great. As soon as you list Free Guy, I get to think about Free Guy for a second. But it's really neat to see all the diversity from our fan, from from the our fellow fans writing in and seeing everybody's top 10 list is different. Maybe every maybe some people have the same number one. Maybe some people have the same number ten. But every list is different and unique, and that's what I love seeing. This so thanks for sharing your list with us, Caleb. Okay, next up we've got Ethan Holgate who writes one of four. Hey John, great list for your favorite films of the year. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. I only saw three movies this year that I didn't like being Purge 5, Space Jam 2, and Jungle Cruise. I didn't mind Jungle Cruise. I, I like. I didn't think Jungle Cruise was great. It wasn't. But I thought it was pretty fun. I thought it was a fun little adventure. But clearly for you, it wasn't one that worked. Uh, I don't watch movies that I don't think... Let me try this again. I don't watch movies that I think look like crap, like Thunder Force. So sorry for your pain, man. <laughs> anyway, uh, my honorable mentions for favorite movies of 2021 would be 10 Venom, Let There Be Carnage. I love that movie. Number nine, Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Number eight, Army of the Dead. Number seven, Cop Shop. Number six, Nobody. Number five, Chaos Walking. Number four, Malignant. Number three, Dune. Number two, No Time to Die. And number one, Last Night in Soho. Uh, my top 10 movies of 2021 would be 10 House of Gucci, nine. Don't Look Up. Eight, Wrath of Man, seven. Oh, I'm glad you brought up Wrath of Man because we just talked about that earlier today too. I, that was That's a real forgotten one of this year. I had a lot of fun with Wrath of Man. Anyway, seven, old. Number six, Cherry. It's funny because somebody else, remember I was just saying all lists are different? Somebody else just listed Cherry as one of their worst of the year. Number five, Shang-Chi. Number four, Eternals. Number three, Spider-Man No Way Home. Number two, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Number one, The Suicide Squad. Man, I love Suicide Squad. That, and it flopped hard. Big, big flop. And that sucks because that movie deserved way, way better. That was such a great take on that whole thing. James Gunn did it again. I absolutely adored that film. I'm glad it's your number one, man. Thanks for sharing that, Ethan. All right. Next up. Uh, Ethan Holgate also writes, most anticipated for 2022 would be 10, Aquaman 2. Number nine, Thor 4. Number eight, The Man from Toronto. You know what? That's We've been talking about that one for a long time because they had people come and go out of that movie. It's going to be interesting to see how that turns out. Uh, number seven, Guy Ritchie's Operation Fortune. Number six, Top Gun 2. Number five, The Batman. Number four, Roland Emmerich's Moonfall. You and Ray and Rob both, man. Number three, Michael's Bay, Bay's Ambulance. Number two, Uncharted. Number one, Avatar 2. If it comes out, and that's a very good question. You know, it's funny you mentioned Avatar 2 because today, as we were doing our anticipated list for 2022, uh, Rob was men mentioned Avatar 2. Man, seriously, we did our, on the John Campy show today, we did our lists of our most anticipated movies. And I'm telling you, dude, there is some awesome film coming this year. Like, I, I was going to do my top 10 plus a couple of honorable mentions, I ended up with 13 honorable mentions and I got down to 13 honorable mentions from an original list that I had of 31. I had to chop like 18 movies off my honorable mentions list just to get it down as, as short of a list as I could. So I ended up listing like 23 movies that I think I'm psychotically excited to see this year. And Rob had some great loot ones on that list too. And, and so are yours, Ethan. All right. Uh, next up. Uh, Faisal writes, Favorite films of the year. Number 10, The Hand of God. Number 9, uh, Shiva Baby. Number 8, Lamb. Oh, man, I'm, I'm glad you like Lamb. I 
Uh, number seven, uh, Benedetta. Number six, a hero. Number five, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. Number four, Bergman Island. Number three, worst person in the world. Number two, Drive My Car. Number one, Tatane. You know, those last two, Drive My Car is one that's been getting a lot of attention from people uh, recently. Like, it's it's an examination of the human condition. I mean, I, I know that sounds like a, a pompous way of describing it, but it's really true. There have been few films I've seen lately that really you can legitimately describe as an examination of the human condition. Uh, like drive my car. Anyway, excellent, excellent list, man. And a very unique list among the ones we've had so far this year. All right. Hoop Suni writes, my top 10 best this year. Number 10, Tick, Tick, Boom. Number nine, Nobody. Number eight, Being the Ricardos. Number seven, Boss Level. Uh, number six, Shang-Chi. Number five, Last Night in Soho. Number four, Coda. Uh, Coda was, I think you're gonna see a lot of awards attention for Coda. Number three, Suicide Squad. Number two, Dune. Number one, Spider-Man. Haven't seen King Richard or West Side Story yet, but I plan to. Yeah, I was late to the party on King Richard simply because I kept missing my opportunities to see it in theater. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to watch this thing on HBO. I got to see it in movie theaters. So I was actually kind of late to the party, even though our own Aaron Cummings is in it. But I did finally get around to seeing it's in my top 10 of the year as well. All right, next up. Uh, Marie Seifring, and this will be our final question of the day, guys. Marie Seifring writes, Hi, John, Ray, and Kim. It looks like Taika Waititi's next goal wins is still a go. The Hollywood Reporter says that Will Arnett will replace Army Hammer in the project. I look forward to this film. Thanks. Yeah, we talked about that today on the John Campia show, about not only did they replace Army Hammer with uh, Will Arnett, they've already reshot all of Army Hammer's scenes. They've already completely removed him from the film. So it's not like they just announced Will Arnett and so he's going to start reshooting. No, no, no. They've already very quietly, under the radar, went about the business of reshooting all of Army Hammer's scenes with Will Arnett in it instead. So they had to get the cast back together so anybody else that was supposed to be in those scenes go back to the sets, rebuild, all that kind of stuff, all to take Army Hammer out of the movie. That is uh, that is something else that they did that. And I'm really, really shocked they found a way to keep that under the radar and keep that quiet. All right, guys, listen, that's all the time we have right now for tonight's installment of companion videos. But listen, there are still more questions to come. Questions like from James Hoffman, Tommy Oliver, Kimberly Ann, and others. Do not worry. We're going to pick up right where we left off on the John Campus Show tomorrow. So if you haven't seen your question answered yet, just hang tight. You'll probably see it red tomorrow. But for now, that'll do it, guys, for this installment of the Companion Video. Thank you so much for joining us. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in these questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the John Campus Show, thank you guys so very much for your support. Don't forget to join us again on the John Campus Show tomorrow. And that'll do it for me, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.